0: Chapter 11, Hebrews 11, again this morning. We'll look this morning at verses 17 to 19. If you're confused about what happened to verses 13 to 16, we dealt with those along with verses 8 to 10. So if you say, wait a minute, we were just back in verse 11 last week, well, we already dealt with 13 to 16. 17 to 19 today. A little while back, quite, quite some time ago, actually, uh, Tom and I were in a guitar store looking at guitars. And as we chatted with the, which is a place you might find Tom, or me. Um, as we chatted with the owner, he told us how it was that he sold so many guitars. He says, well, some young guy hears some accomplished guitarist play something, and he says, boy, I want to do that, that's really cool. So determined to play like that, he comes in and he buys, plunks down some money and buys a guitar. Takes it home and tries to play that. And Unfortunately, his guitar won't produce that kind of sound. And so what on earth could be wrong? And He thinks about it and he tries it again. It still doesn't work and finally he figures it out. He needs a better guitar. And so he goes back to the store with even more money to the storekeeper's delight. But as the owner knew and acknowledged with a smile, the problem is not the guitar, it plays fine. The problem is you have to practice to play well. And we all know this, practice makes perfect. No football player was ever an NFL star the first time he picked up a football. It took years of practice, including lots Of uh, failures. No musician ever uh, uh, composed or performed real music on their first attempt. It took hundreds, even thousands of hours of practice. And no Christian ever became a faithful disciple of Jesus the day he or she first believed. Faith must be stretched and tested. We have to learn to die to self-interest until finally we understand that God's promises are true and we can trust him no matter what. Now last week we examined the faith of Abraham and his wife Sarah, only to find out that it was, an, it was as pitiful as ours is, riddled with gaps and lapses. But they never quit believing They kept coming back to God's promises, year after year, back to the promises on which they had staked their lives and their futures. And when you keep on keeping on, you get better at things. You get better at music when you practice. You get better in school when you study. You get better at your marriage when you work on it. And your faith gets stronger when committed to walk in faithfulness. You refuse to quit. So this morning, we come to a day many, many years later in the life of Abraham. The day on which he encountered his most severe test ever. But on this day, we do not see the pitiful, fickle faith we saw last week, Instead, Abraham exhibits a mature, strong, and vibrant faith that has learned to stake everything on God's promise, whether it makes sense or not. Let's read it verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is a very brief version of a longer account back in Genesis 22 very tempting for me to just go back and preach on Genesis 2. We went through that a number of years ago, and there's lots of things there and rich things. But this summary statement was crafted specifically to teach us about faith, the subject being unpacked for us here throughout the Hebrews 11. And on that subject, this text, I think, has two things uh, to, to say to us, two very pointed things. The first is this. Sometimes God does not make sense. Sometimes God does not make sense. You know, when you're a little child, lots of things your parents tell you to do don't really make sense, but it doesn't matter. You just do them. That's what kids do. Indeed, if you dare ask why, you may hear, because I said so, that's why. And you don't really know much more about why, why they make sense than you did before. You're just in trouble. But as you get older, that ceases to be a good enough reason. This is what makes adolescence uh, such a difficult time. Young people begin to balk at doing things which make no sense to them. Things for which the only reason is because I told you so. And in regard to our faith, I think we're all a bit like strong-willed teenagers. Asking why and demanding that we understand what our Heavenly Father says to us. And sometimes... God's way does not make sense. It was Abraham's experience on the day of testing recorded here. When Isaac was a boy, half grown, a young, probably a young man, a teenager, I'm not sure. God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Wow. There are so many things about that that don't make sense. First, God's asking for Abraham's greatest treasure. God stretched Abraham a lot before this. He had lost his nephew Lot. In the chapter before this account, before this account in Genesis, he had had to send Hagar and his son Ishmael away because of the trouble in the family. But this was completely different. This was the ultimate test. Abraham had no treasure like his son Isaac. Uh, This was a son for whom he had waited for 25 years. Isaac was his only son with Sarah, the son of his old age, the miracle baby, the son of laughter, God's most precious gift to Sarah and him. God could not have asked for anything more precious from Abraham. And may I remind you folks, God still has the right to claim your most precious treasure too. He may ask of you that which costs you everything. And he doesn't apologize for claiming such sovereignty in your life. Indeed, he will not settle for less. But God didn't make sense here for another reason, because he's asking Abraham to do something that seemed morally wrong. Human sacrifice, the Canaanites did such things, but not God's people. Abraham lived many years before the law was given that had specified certain commands about what you should do and not do. But the thought of a human sacrifice would have still been an abomination to Abraham's righteous mind, just as it's an abomination to your mind and my mind. And yet there's God's command. Take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. It just doesn't make sense. But most confusing of all, God didn't make sense for he was asking something which appeared to be completely contradictory to what he had said before. Isaac was the child of promise. God himself had miraculously given to Abraham and Sarah this son. And God pointedly said that all of his covenant promises that he had given to Abraham would be fulfilled through this son whom he mentioned by name, Isaac. So doesn't God keep his promises? All this makes no sense. You see, Abraham knew with certainty two absolutely contradictory things. He knew that God's promises were tied to Isaac. And he knew that God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac. Those can't both be true. Abraham could not possibly have understood that contradiction. It was totally incomprehensible. Dr. Robert Rayburn explains what makes this so difficult. He says, what we have here is what we have in many other places in Holy Scripture, the hiddenness of God. What is meant by this is that God acts in ways that are not only mysterious to us, but defy our wisdom and our understanding. Ways that seem to contradict what we have been taught about God and his character and his ways. Later he goes on to say, In Scripture there is nothing of that chatty certainty about God's promises that we find in modern preachers. No, his thoughts are far above ours, a great deep we cannot sound, and his ways are very often simply past finding out, no matter how much faith a man or woman has. God often asks of his people very difficult things that are hard to understand, given what we are taught of his love and mercy. And much happens in the world that is, frankly, very difficult to square with the sovereignty of God. Sometimes, God just doesn't make sense. That, by the way, was the dilemma for these Hebrew believers to whom the book of Hebrews was written. These Jewish readers were the faithful ones, the ones who had accepted God's Messiah, Jesus, when many, including the leaders of Israel, had rejected him. They believed God's promise about the coming victory and prosperity of the kingdom of God, the joyful advance of the kingdom for the sake of God's people. So why do they suddenly find themselves suffering... As, as, as ones who accepted Messiah, while the ones who rejected the Messiah hold all the power and are their oppressors. Wait a minute. What about God's promises? What about the kingdom? What about the Messiah's power? Have we believed in vain? You see, in their situation, God's ways did not make sense, and they were tempted to abandon Jesus and walk away. Some of you face the same kinds of problems. The early church father, Chrysostom, described it this way, when God makes demands that are contradictory to his promises. God makes demands that are contradictory to his promises. Perhaps you've hung on God's promise to provide for you, and you've seen him bless you with the things you need. And now suddenly... He's telling you to be content when uh, you find yourself totally destitute. What about his promise to provide? Or perhaps God has given you a spouse and promised his blessing on that union. And now your marriage has fallen apart and there's not a thing you can do, to do about it. Wait a minute, God. Or perhaps God has given you children which you tried to train in, faith, in the faith... And yet, in spite of God's promise, they have turned on the heel and walked away and abandoned the faith. People in vocational Christian ministry face this, this too. God has called you to serve Him and to bear fruit in your ministry. And then, for some reason, it all crumbles around you, and you're forced to find some job that's in a whole different field than you're called to. You see, this is the worst kind of temptation. When things don't make sense. When what we know to be God's will, or that we have to do now, requires us to abandon what we knew God's will was yesterday. What do you do? What do you do? That brings us to our second point. Faith trusts God and does what he says. That's simple. Faith trusts God and does what he says. Verse 17 is stark in its description of Abraham's faith. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. No ifs, ands, or buts, no explanation, nothing. When we read the whole story in Genesis 22, it is striking for its directness and the brevity with which it describes Abraham's obedience. Early in the morning, he was getting ready to go obey God's command. He cut the wood, he saddled the donkey, sat on the journey, and traveled to the designated place. He packed the wood onto Isaac's back and took the fire and took the knife himself. They hiked to the place of offering. He built an altar of stones, prepared the wood, and he bound his son and he drew his knife to slay him. In this account, there is no mention of the thing with which we are so consumed, the agonizing emotion that Abraham must have felt. Sure, we can try to imagine the agony of his soul. It's what makes the story so moving to us. But the text is not concerned about how terrible Abraham felt about it. That's not what constitutes true faith. Only one thing matters. Abraham trusted God and went and obeyed what he said. Oh, this morning I call you to rise above the pseudo Christianity that swirls all around us. That notion that faith is driven and defined and ultimately limited by how I feel. Folks, sometimes you're going to feel miserable. How could you feel good at the thought of sacrificing your greatest treasure? How could you feel good about contradictions in your understanding of God's ways? That puts you in the worst bind of your life. But faith is not about how you feel. Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says. When it makes no sense, when you feel exactly the opposite when everything within you rebels against such obedience right there, God calls you to trust him and obey. So what was Abraham thinking when he responded in obedient faith? Well, we learned it in verse 19. Abraham reasoned God can raise the dead. If God supernaturally gave uh, gave Isaac life to begin with, God could supernaturally give him life again. In other words, Abraham is saying, I don't have to understand what God is doing or how he's going to fix this in order to do what he tells me to do. Great lesson in faith here, folks. When we compare the promise of a son being born that we heard about earlier... With Abraham's reasoning about sacrificing his son, the issue is really the same. Can God supernaturally give life? The difference is that one requires passive faith and one requires active faith. When God promised to give Abraham a son in his old age and in Sarah's old age, Abraham said, okay, and he believed it. I mean, what else could he do? He could make that happen. He trusted God. Though he was passive, he was just waiting on God to do what he couldn't do. That's faith. He believed him, trusted him. And often you and I are called to accept faith that way. situation we absolutely can't control, something we can't make happen, yet God says it, and we say, yes, Lord, I, I trust you for that. Oh, but now, when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham was not passive or helpless at all. Either he went up to the mountain or he didn't. Either he took a lamb or he only took his son. Either he took the knife or he didn't take the knife. Either he laid the boy on the altar or he didn't lay the boy on the altar. He either plunged the knife down into him except that God stopped him. You see, this is active faith. At every point along the way, Abraham moved forward in obedience rather than shrinking back in fear because it didn't make sense. He actively believed God enough to press forward. He understood that faith, trust God and does what God says. Well, you probably don't know how the story ends. Just as Abraham had the knife in his hand ready to take Isaac's life, God provided a ram caught in a thicket as a substitute sacrifice. So our text says that in a figurative sense, Abraham did receive Isaac back from the dead, For Isaac was as good as dead, Abraham fully intended to take his life. But God never intended for Abraham to take his life. God was just testing his faith. And Abraham passed the test with flying colors. And so we see what faith can look like after years of practice. Quite different from the meager faith of the early years of Abraham's life. This faith trusts God and does what God says, even when God's commands absolutely make no sense. As we turn our attention to the Lord's Supper, we cannot miss the fact that this ancient incident has more to teach us than what faith looks like, the the purpose in Hebrews 11. This incident teaches us about substitution. God provided a ram as a substitute sacrifice for Abraham's son. And in the fullness of time, God provided a substitute sacrifice in Jesus that we might go free. There's a wonderful piece of information that Hebrews doesn't mention, but we find it in the Genesis account of this incident, that points us to this greater reality to come. You know, God could have said to Abraham, I want you to just go out in the back 40 here and build yourself a little altar, and I want you to sacrifice your son. But he didn't say that. He said, I want you to go to this specific place called Mount Moriah. Three days' journey from uh, Beersheba, where he lived. So what's so significant about Mount Moriah? In Abraham's time, it's just another hill out in the barren Middle East. But according to 2 Chronicles 3, Mount Moriah is the site upon which Solomon eventually built the temple of the Lord. Which means that that's the site that eventually became the location of the city of Jerusalem. Therefore, that means that this is also the location of a place that we call not Mount Moriah, but we call Mount Calvary. Same place. There in about the same place where Abraham went to sacrifice his son, on another day centuries later, another father, the heavenly father, sacrificed his only begotten son. Only this time he did not stop short of the death of his son. For Jesus came to be a substitute sacrifice for our sins. In a wonderful way that only God could weave the historical story together, this son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is both the son of promise represented by Isaac through whom all God's promises come, and he's the sacrificial lamb represented by the ram who died in Isaac's place. Both the son of promise and the sacrificial lamb in one person. You see, this is not just a story about Abraham and Isaac from which we learn about faith, though it is that. This is also a sketch of the gospel of God's grace the promise toward which our faith looks. Here we see how much the Father loves us, that he would sacrifice his only Son. Here we see the great cost the Son was willing to pay for our salvation, nothing less than becoming the sacrificial lamb in our place. Here we see what it means to go free because of a, sacrific- uh, a, 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 sac- a substitutionary sacrifice. It's as if we were untied and walked away just like Isaac did. Now here is something to believe in. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what does it mean to believe in him? It means to trust God and do what he says, even when his ways make no sense to us. God, give us such faith. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, People could write stories and invent characters and weave imaginary events together in order to make a point. They do it every day. But you, Lord, write the gospel on history with real people and real lives and real times and real places. Well, you show us your grace, and then you show us what it looks like to believe you and trust you. You show us, Lord, your mercy. And and, and a substitutionary sacrifice. And then you call us, Lord, to follow that Jesus whom you have really raised from the dead, not just figuratively. May we not miss it this morning. May we not miss the gospel. May we not miss what it means to believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.